You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Today I'm talking with Andrew Donaldson because this whole railway strike thing is a pretty big deal that we haven't talked much about. Honestly, it's pretty complicated, and there's been so many other things going on. But Andrew worked in transportation and logistics, both for the U.S. military and in the private sector, for over 15 years. So he knows a lot more about this than I do. I wanted to talk to him about this. He's also the host of the show Heard Tell, which I will put a link to that in the show notes, and the managing editor of OrdinaryTimes.com. That's Ordinary-Times.com. Andrew how you doing today? I'm great. Really appreciate the time with you. It's one of those things, too, where I've listened to you, but I don't think we've ever talked. So it's great to actually talk to you, my friend. Uh, it is. Likewise. So what's going on today with the rail strike? When we first set this up, uh, Biden or the administration hadn't come out and said that they were going to that they were asking for this to be forced through. So we have had a new development. But let's let's talk about the situation that's going on right now. Yeah, it's amazing, too, because, you know, when I talked to the start of the week, I actually reached out to a couple of my contacts in Congress, people that cover Congress. So I was like, is anybody in Congress even talking about this right now? And they're like, no, they're really not. It's not on the, of course, they're doing all the changeover of leadership and new people coming in. And they were kind of bum fuzzled. They're like, no, they're not even talking about it. So I wasn't super surprised when the president dropped this letter because this is a, this is a grenade with the pen pulled uh, kind of a situation. This is not going to be good. Now, we got to back up a little bit. Congress actually tried to deal with this back in September when the administration brokered the first deal right and it got held up and it was blocked in the senate um by everybody's favorite bernie sanders actually blocked the legislation where they were going to try to get involved with it then the administration had the agreement that they made with the rail union heads and the rail companies in september made the big announcement took a big let they took a big victory lap over it everybody remembers that what happened then is what is happening now though they just kind of kicked the can down the road past the election we're past the election now that was step one. Those union heads had to go back to their unions and all those individual 14 unions had to ratify this thing. And all of them have to do it because if one does it, they'll all strike because they're going to have solidarity. They're not going to cross a picket line. We now have several of them, including the largest one, Safer TD, has rejected it. 
they consolidated those strikes. How a strike works is it is set in stone based off of when the negotiations was. So they picked the date of December the 9th. They were going to consolidate which strike date they picked. So right now, if nothing changes, December 9th, the freight union labor unions are going to go on strike. This is an economic hit of a couple billion dollars a day to the economy if this happens. It looks like the only way to avert this is Congress getting involved. Congress wasn't interested in getting involved. So the president, frankly, to kind of clean up his own mess he made here, is now asking Congress to step in and do forced arbitration. So before we get into whether or not they're actually going to do that, could you tell me how the economy and our daily lives could be affected if they do actually go on strike? Hugely, something around 30% of all the mercantile in America, merchandise, goods, services, wood, oil, you name it, travels by freight rail. I, I was out in uh, Denver a couple of weeks ago for a wedding and I got stopped at a railroad crossing. And I'm used to railroad crossings. I'm from West Virginia. We got coal trains, right? Uh, if you're in the Midwest, you get ag trains, right? Agricultural trains. I sat there at that stop for about 20 minutes just watching that train go by, clocking at double stacked containers for 20 minutes going by. That's one train. So you can imagine if they shut down the entire rail network, this ripples out. Remember when we had all the mess with the ports getting backed up and shut down? This will do that again. Uh, you can talk about things like rail service. Our freight rail has priority over passenger rail because the freight rail owns all the passenger lines. This would disrupt passenger service, especially in the Northeast and the D.C. corridors, that kind of area. That could have a big problem. It's really hard to quantify in a number just how disruptive a rail strike is going to be. We haven't had one in decades. This could be really, really bad for an economy that was kind of having a pretty good Christmas season by all accounts. This could be a really bad economic hit if it doesn't get handled because if they go on full-blown strike and Congress does not make them go to forced arbitration, it's something like 35 days before they even go back to the negotiating table because there's a cool-off period. So this, this could go for a while if Congress doesn't step in. And one more thing that's just to make this worse, if Congress does step in long term, probably going to make this worse because they're going to force both parties to take the Biden deal that the unions have already rejected. So the workers aren't going to be happy. There's not a whole lot of good news here, I'm afraid. And there's another random thing that ripples out to uh, I come from a farm family in Illinois. Yeah. And uh, so when they take the grain to the to the market, they go to a place called CGMB. Well, they, a lot of times they load barges. Well, the river's been so low, the barges haven't been able to get mm. through. So they've actually been loading onto a lot of trains uh, there recently. Now, they're, they're done with the harvest, but uh, since all that was so slow, they fill up a lot of grain bins, and then they take it mm. as they can and get paid out for the, the corn or the beans or whatever later on. And this, if the river stays low, the barges can't get through, and the trains aren't running, it's going to disrupt a lot of agriculture, a, a lot of grains getting to the market, and that could have... Uh, really big ripple effects through food supply, at least with prices, uh, not if not with the, the supply itself. Hopefully this, if it does happen, doesn't last a long time. Do you think it's likely that Congress will push this through and uh, we will avert the actual strike? I think they will because they have to, because nobody wants a shutdown that's going to hit the economy as hard as this will. Um, so I think they figure out some way to get it together. There's a little bit of trepidation how this is going to work, because normally the people that would push this, like uh, the head of the Labor Committee in the Senate's uh, Richard Burr, he's, of course, retiring because of his own scandal. You know, how engaged is he? We have new leadership positions. So it's not going to be an automatic that they get it done. But I do think they get it done. But I need to reiterate, 
Forced arbitration means ta- everybody taking a deal that nobody wants. So in the long run, this is not only not going to solve the problem other than kicking it down the road again, which is what made it so bad now is the last time they kicked it down the road. This is probably going to make it a whole lot worse because these workers have a legitimate grievance on this sick time. They're offering them all these other things, but they're still not dealing with the sick time. They're not going to budge on this. And if you make them take the deal with no sick time, that's just going to make the next negotiation even worse. Remember, these negotiations right now, this has been going on for three years that's how contentious and hard this is to get done. Plus the fact that it's 14 different unions you got to get in. A, I think Congress does force arbitration to get it to the f- next year. But I don't know how many times they're going to be able to pull that before the rail workers really get fed up and really make a stink over this stuff. And frankly, they got a point. Yeah, that's. Uh, I guess that's one thing we need to talk about because we haven't followed this. I haven't followed it as closely as I probably should have. If you could get me up to speed on what it is that they're upset about, I'll give you just a little bit of my bias. I'm not the biggest fan of unions myself. No. Uh, not not a big fan of them. But no, you say I- that the workers they've got some legitimate grievances here. So what are those? I'm I'm leery of labor unions as they exist in the United States of America today. I'm not against labor unions in theory. Look, I'm from West Virginia. If anybody needed a union, it was coal miners. All right. I'm not against them. I'm against the U.S. version where they have become highly politicized because I think when you have an incestuous relationship between a union and the government, the worker doesn't have anywhere to go with a grievance because those two are going to be in cahoots against the workers. That's where I'm at on unions. I'm not against them. You should have a right to join a union. You should also have a right to not be in a union. That's just nutshelling where I'm at on it. But in this particular case, I also understand unions usually overreach on these things. They really want, you know, a lot of stuff. In this particular case, I think the workers have a very, very fair point. They're talking about the big pay raises they're getting. It's like 24% over a 10-year span or an eight-year span, depending on which numbers you want to use. That's making the headlines. The real core, what the workers are really going to strike over, though, is sick time. They don't get actual sick time. They have to take their regular paid time off to get sick time. Now, to be fair to the companies, these are long hour jobs, a lot of travel. It's really, really hard to schedule these railroad workers because it's a very hard job that covers a lot of distance and time. They don't want to give up sick days because sick days are protected days off. You call in a sick day, you're protected to take that day off. They don't get those right now. They want those. They're not going to budge off that. So if they do the forced arbitration, they're going to be taking a deal where they do not get the number one priority they have. And frankly, probably their most legitimate beef you can see how that's going to probably snowball and burn everybody down the road a little bit more. I definitely see wanting to uh, have the specific sick time. I, and uh, I, I would definitely want that if I were at a job. I, I guess I just draw comparisons to, say, my wife, who works for a pretty big company, and she doesn't get yeah. sick time separate from her PTO that she has. If she needs to take a sick day, she takes her PTO. And, and so yep. is it that uncommon that people don't have paid time off for sick leave specifically yeah it's of course again when you're in a labor union your your peers are what you're judging on not what everybody else does but yeah most somewhere between 15 70 percent of americans get sick time off of some kind whether it's their pto adjustment or a lot of companies now they actually do just two different kinds of pto one you can take and one the company grants and they do that in lieu of sick time i worked for a company that did it that way which wasn't too awful bad um it's a fair point it's the, the thing with this is these workers think they're entitled to it and they're not going to back off it and they're not going to let it go. The point is so our argument doesn't I, matter in this scenario. It, yeah, ma- it matters what and, they're wanting. And, <laughs> well, and it's not just that they're wanting, it's that now they had the government in the form of the Biden administration, um, the labor secretary brokered this deal, came in and when they negotiated the deal, they purposely didn't deal with the sick time because they knew that was the one thing they weren't going to be able to work out. 
So they brokered a deal knowing they were going to take the hot button issue and put it to the side, which just made them even worse. Look, if I'm a worker and I'm negotiating, I'm like six times my number one priority and they push your deal down and they say, we're not even going to discuss it. I can see where that would tick me off. I can, I can understand that one. Is it fair to the general population? Maybe not. That's debatable compared to other unions and what they got. Yeah. They have a lot less than like, you know, say the, the other labor unions that they are brotherhooded in for lack of a better term. They feel aggrieved. You get somebody that feels aggrieved, you better figure out a way to work with their aggrievement if you want to solve their problem. I don't see them wanting to solve their problem here. I see an administration that wants to kick the can down the road again. This is the habit of the Biden administration. I think they're going to make a whole big old mess because of the way they handled it in September, how they're going to handle it now, because they're going to pass it off to Congress so they can blame Congress for it going forward. That's where the problem is, though. I don't. I think the workers have a little bit of a beef. I think the way they've been treated is going to make the beef a whole lot worse. I think the administration has a lot of blame here. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, I sometimes wish that life did have some type of a user manual. Some of the stuff we've been talking about today would be real nice to just know everything, right? I have needed that a lot in the past. We don't get it. Just kind of have to figure it out. You got to make the best decisions that you possibly can and just hope that everything plays out okay. You could be going through a career change, relationships. It's the holidays right now. You're dealing with families and friends. You could be a new parent, you know. You just feel pretty stuck in your life. We don't have the manual, but we do have better help. Therapists can help you figure out that whole stuck feeling help you build better coping skills and work through your tough decisions i have done therapy before some of the best life changes i've made came from uh, the time that i was talking to a therapist about things it was tough when i did it but i'm really glad that i did it as the world's largest therapy service better help has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100 online plus it's affordable just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist if things aren't clicking you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime it couldn't be simpler no waiting rooms no traffic no endless searching for the right therapist learn more and save 10 percent off your first month at betterhelp.com gml that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com Slash GML. Is there any way that this, uh, I'm just theorizing, this gets kicked down another month to a Republican-led House uh, that ends up not pushing this through in the way people thinks it, think it should go through and they get the blame for the strike? Is that possible in this that's scenario? Not only possible, that's what I think our Team Blue friends are hoping for, okay. especially the okay. Biden administration, but they're not going to make it. Um, in fact, the larger of the unions, the strike dates would have went off when the unions uh, voted down the agreement. They went with the ninth, which was one of the earlier unions that struck down the agreement. One of the later ones, we had thought that the strike, if it happened, would actually start on the 23rd of December because that was the latest of the dates. Now they're saying they're going to strike on the ninth. So if they strike on the ninth, you're not going to get that. If they do forced arbitration now, they push it through to the first of the year. By law, they're going to have to wait a couple months before they can ratify agreements and threaten a strike again. That would push it in the next year, past the spring, probably early summer, before they could do it again. Now you got Congress, and again, the Biden administration wants Congress to step in here and clean up their mess. It is their delegated duty to do this, by the way. They can force arbitration. It's not outside of the law or anything, but it is an abdication responsibility because they made this mess just to get it past the election. And now here's the mess after the election trying to deal with it because they didn't want an economic disruption before the election. So, yeah, they know that there's a Congress coming in that's on the other team. They can blame some stuff on. Absolutely. I'm going to read to you a troubling paragraph from the statement from the Biden administration. Uh, As a proud pro-labor president, 
I am reluctant to override the ratification procedures and the views of those who voted against the agreement. But in this case, where the economic impact of a shutdown would hurt millions of other working people and families, I believe Congress must use its powers to adopt this deal. There's something very backwards about uh, Now, I'm not even yeah. pro-union, but there's something very backwards yeah. about that to me. Yeah, especially since the negotiations bogged down because the Biden administration, um, the union or the excuse me, the rail company actually accused them of giving the union too much leeway in the initial negotiations, which set back the negotiations, according to the company. So it's kind of funny they're going to turn around and sort them this way. There's a very old saying, a very good progressive friend of mine always says, like, the Democrats are only as progressive as the nearest moderate voter. Um, if you start screwing the economy up, all those moderate voters get real, 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 real close to you. And that's what's happening here. He's like, well, I'm. Gonna, by the way, is this not the perfect Joe Biden statement ever? Well, it's this way, but I'm going to do it this yeah, way. Yeah. Oh, shucks, shenanigans. <laughs> I can't believe I have to. Why did you make me do this? This is very troubling because, look, if you're pro-labor and you've been giving you know massive amounts of money to the Democratic Party that the big labor does, this is where you expect to get a return on your investment, right? And he goes, oh, well, it's going to hurt me politically. So, eh, nope, sorry. Yeah, this is just part and parcel to the 50 years of book we have on President Joe Biden. This is who he is. And again, if you're going to hurt the economy in election year, that's going to be a tough sell to a politician. So, no, they weren't going to do this. They cut this deal in September. They pushed it past the election. And here we are, my friend. But, yeah, that's that's just a part and parcel. Bite. They ought to frame that and put it up somewhere when I'm, they do the presidential library for him. I'm trying to figure out the philosophy of being so pro-labor unless – what the workers are doing <laughs> is too important for the economy. Unless, unless these workers are doing like the most important thing in our entire economy. Well, we, you know, I'm pro labor until we get to that point. And th at that point, yeah. I'm going to force this down on top of the workers that they don't like. Isn't, I mean, it just all yeah. seems a little backwards to me. It's totally backwards. And the old joke in media that I always heard when I first started media is like the only two times you can talk about the economy is if something's going bad and Christmas. Well, right now we have a very confusing economy, which is parts of it are really good and parts of it are really bad, which is confusing everybody, including economists. And it's Christmas. So it's the perfect storm of I don't want to talk about the economy. The Democrats did very well, comparatively very well in the election. So it worked, I guess. They got the economy through that they needed. But the problem is we're on to the next election already. We're on to the next year. We're on to the next Congress. This is a mess that needs to be fixed. Congress is going to have to step in to avert the rail strike. But I just want to remind people, once they do that, remember, this is this is just going to make a matter. And this is going to come back and bite us again in a year or two. So whatever news comes out of this next couple of weeks, make sure you dog ear it. We're going to be coming back to this again. That's uh, that's a really good, you know, for me having a podcast, I need to make sure that I save this uh, so we can come back to this whole thing. And I'm going to make sure I save this part of the conversation where you told me to save this yeah. and come back to it when all the bad things are happening later on. Speaking of the midterms, you just mentioned that. Yeah. What what were your thoughts on what played out? A little bit different from what you expected or is that what you expected? No, I, I was wrong on a lot of it. I was right on some of it, like a lot of folks. I didn't think the Democrats would do as well as they did. Um you know, we overthink elections a lot, especially those of us that talk about them 24 hours a day. We have podcasts and news feeds and whatever. We 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 can miss things sometimes. What's the two old sayings about elections? All elections are local and your candidates really matter. Well, we try to put national narratives on some of these state level, whether it's a Senate race or a governor's race or whatever. You try to put a national narrative on some of these and they don't fit nice and neat and clean because those voters may have unique needs they need. Um, and the candidates really matter. If you run a candidate that people just are turned off by, by their personality, it doesn't matter what their policy is. They don't want them. That's just the facts of it. 
we forget things like that. And then we get into the horse race of it of, oh, well, this person's got this demographic and they got this map and they got this constituency, this. And we lose the fact that most people don't follow politics for policy and ideology like we do. They follow it. I like that person. I don't like that person. I'm not voting for them because I don't like how they talk. I don't like their mannerisms. I don't like how they act. Your candidates really matter. And if your candidate comes off as a little bit crazy or comes off as somebody that's unlikable, the policies don't matter. That's an important lesson learned. The other one that I think we maybe I'll just speak for myself here that I kind of missed on a little bit is I don't think and we just touched on this. I don't think we really know how to talk about the current economy correctly. It's got some really bad stuff going on in the economy. Times are hard for a lot of people. But on paper, a lot of the economy is really, really good. I don't think the policy people or the pundits or the economists, I have a lot of economists on my show, and they just throw their hands like, this is the weirdest economy we've ever seen. We have no, how do you have low unemployment and labor shortage? This doesn't make sense. I don't think we know how to talk about that correctly yet in media. And I think that's one of those things because individual people, people that are doing really well vote one way. People that are really hurting economically, they vote a different way. So we just saw, oh, economy is the number one issue and assumed it would go one way, and it didn't because we didn't parse that out better. I think that's something I'm going to work on a little bit going forward. Yeah, have you had any ideas on how to do, uh, you know, what is the miscommunication there? And when you have the low unemployment and and you also have, uh, it's like we're going into a recession, right? Or we had right. our consecutive quarters of negative GDP and it's a recession, right? But also a lot of the numbers come back in looking, looking pretty good. And then everything's looking fine for a minute. Now I trade in the stock market every day. Uh, that's my, yeah. my main job I do every day. And so I'm following every single thing that the Fed says and every single up move and down move that happens. And uh, so I know where we're at as far as the stock market's concerned. But are people really feeling as bad as I think the economy overall is? Are they feeling something different? Apparently not. It, I think it's interesting. You can put the spending for Christmas and I understand it's up because of inflation as well, but it's up even more than what the inflation answers for. Spending's way up. People spend money when they feel good. I mean, that's just one of the basic economic building blocks. People have spent a ton of money this Christmas season. I actually wonder, you know, this is just me shooting off the hip here. I actually wonder if some of it is, is people just got so tired about hearing the economy. They're like, screw it. I'm going to go buy stuff and feel good about myself. I wonder if there's a little bit of that going on with some folks. You know, again, to go back to the point I was making is sometimes we get lost in the data and we forget the basic stuff. Like people want to have a good Christmas and they're willing to spend to have a good Christmas. And if they're willing to spend for a good Christmas, they're telling you by their actions, not our buzzwords, that they feel pretty good overall, or at least they feel okay. They're at least not scared that they're hoarding their money. So maybe it's just one of those sorts of things. Those are things we should probably pay a little bit more attention to. And the other thing, of course, is when you have a big ticket item, um, war in Ukraine, uh, of course, the abortion decision of the Supreme Court, when you have scandals, those things poke through, but they also have shelf lives. So if you remember the stuff we were talking about back in the spring, oh, this is going to really affect the election, or even in the summer, even in August, like this is going to really affect the election. And here we are at the end of November. Go back and look, okay, how many of those things are we talking about right now? Did we jump the boat on some of this stuff that we thought was going to be a game changer and then turned out to not be that big a deal? Those are the things I'm going to review um, going forward to see if I can do a little bit better going forward. It's hard. Look, man, this stuff's kind of hard, but what we should do is simplify the economy, people feeling good about themselves, people feeling like their rights are being respected, people feeling like their government's treating them fairly. I, I, in my opinion, I think we're over three on that, but there's some people that apparently disagree with me. I guess so. I don't, I guess they're following the white house's Twitter account. They think everything's fine. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. Well, where can everyone go to follow your show and uh, some of your writing and tweets, whatever it is, where they need to go. 
Yeah, I'm way too online on Twitter. I'm at four for the fire. That's uh, spelled out for numerical four. I did not think about having to explain that on media hits when I got that handle, by the way. I should have <laughs> thought that through. Uh, four for the fire on Twitter. I'm on there all the time. Not just politics. Twitter Supper Club, man. One of the best things we do online. We love doing food on there, too. It makes everybody feel good. Hertel is my daily program. Um, you can find it anywhere. There's podcasting. It's on the YouTube platform. It's on our radio partners. Would be thrilled. Grown folk talk. No caterwauling. We don't yell. We just talk things out. Love to have you for that. Ordinary-times.com. I get the privilege of working with some really talented writers. And like you already mentioned, uh, a lot of the Young Voices folks make appearances on set. I'm looking forward to seeing them here in about two weeks down in D.C. for the Christmas thing. Uh, really sharp, talented folks. You'll see a lot of them on Hertel because they're sharp. And I really appreciate your time, my friend. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. And you're welcome on anytime. We'd love to have you back. Call me. I'll be here. <laughs>